look at this uh, passage tonight, Lord, and, and we're just having a, a good old-fashioned Bible study, just verse by verse through the book of Acts. And Father, I ask you to help us all to be attentive, help your word to be something that would uh, speak to all of us, encourage all of us, and just be able to learn something from Acts 14 tonight. We love you, Father. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're there in Acts chapter number 14, and I'd like you to look down at verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass in Iconium, that was the city that they were in, it says that they went both together into the synagogue, and obviously we're talking about uh, Paul and Barnabas. We understand that they're on their first missionary journey, and we're just looking at the latter part of their missionary journey, and it's going to finish up here. The first missionary, missionary journey they went to, we, we finish it up here in this chapter. And uh, Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and I want you to make note of these words, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. And I've kind of highlighted this before uh, as we've gone through the book of Acts, but I, you know, I really could have done it the entire time, but uh, you know, it's very interesting as you read the book of Acts and as you read the Bible, really the entire Bible, you find that... You, you find this being mentioned all the time. Whenever somebody gets saved, they get saved because somebody opened their mouth. The Bible says, They so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believe. Now today, there is a doctrine put out there by neo-charismatic churches and, and non-liberal you know uh, just liberal type churches where they say, you know, we don't believe in confrontational soul winning. We don't believe in, in uh, confronting someone with the gospel. And, 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 I, and don't you know, misunderstand that. When we say we do believe in God, we're not talking about being rude or mean, but we mean confronting people with Jesus Christ. Exp- you know, uh, talking to them about their salvation and talking to them about their sin and whatever. And if they're willing to talk to us, we want to confront them with the Bible. But today, Christians say, we don't believe in confrontational uh, evangelism or so winning. And this is what they'll say. We believe in lifestyle evangelism. Has anybody ever heard that terminology before? Lifestyle evangelism. And this is what they teach. They'll teach that you, you, you just live your life as a Christian. You just live your good life. And then because of the way you live your life, you know, uh, people are going to come and they're going to get saved because of how you live. Lifestyle evangelism. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I work as an electrician doing fire alarms for, you know, businesses and corporations and stuff like that. And I, I've never been at a store, you know, uh, installing a duct detector or installing some sort of a, a device on, on a unit. And, and as I'm taking maybe an ohms reading or, or just wiring something, I've never had anybody just walk up to me and say, you know, I was watching you as you went up that ladder and as you were handling that screwdriver. And I just saw the grace of God in your life. And I've never had anybody say that to me. I've never had anybody come up to me at work and, and just fall on their knees and say, you know, what must I do to be saved? And, and the truth of the matter is, you probably haven't either. And lifestyle evangelism doesn't work. Because lifestyle evangelism, no, no one's going to, you know, unless you're the Apostle Paul and a huge miracle takes place, like, like we'll see later on uh, in, in the book of Acts where, where, you know, prisoners could have been let go, but they didn't. Go, you know, and then and then the, the prison guard there asked him, you know, what must I do? You know, that, that's like one time that that happened in the Bible. Other than that, you always find in the Bible this. People opening their mouth. The Bible says they so spake and a great multitude believed. And that's really, and look, I, I do believe in lifestyle evangelism and the fact that you ought to live your life like a Christian to have your words backed up. You know, we were preaching about this on, on, on a Sunday morning a few weeks ago when we were talking about, uh, you know, works without faith is dead or whatever, and, and there in James 2. And yes, you ought to have 
a life that backs up what you say. You know, when you go to your neighbor, when you go to your family member, when you go to your co-worker, and you try to talk to them about Jesus Christ and preach the gospel to them, you know, they ought to be able to know when you're speaking to them that you're the real thing because they've seen your life. But nobody's going to get saved simply because they see you the way you live. Lifestyle evangelism does not work, and you cannot find it in the Bible at all. Here's what you find in the Bible, verse 1. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and looked. So spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. So why did a great multitude believe? Because somebody opened their mouth. Why did we in the last year of, of, of our church have 124 people accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? Why have we had 91 people accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior this year? Why have we had 11 people baptized you know, in the last year? Why, why, did that, why did we accomplish that? Here's why we accomplished that. Because somebody went out and opened their mouth and explain the gospel and preach the gospel and told the gospel to somebody and somebody responded to that and they got saved. We didn't have 124 people just come up to as I was mowing the lawn 124 people came I was watching you mowing the lawn and, and I just saw the grace of God in your life and just I need what you have. Nobody, that never happened. But I tell you what, what did happen 124 people got the door knocked on and we preached the gospel to them. 124 people had the, the gospel preached to them after they came to a church service or something like that and that's what we find in the Bible. But I'd like you to look at verse number 2. And I always like to point this out. Because again, we, we have these churches teaching, you know, lifestyle evangelism. Don't, don't preach the gospel, just live a good life and people will get saved. And then we also got the same people preaching a prosperity gospel. Preaching that, man, once you get saved, you know, life is going to be good. You just have faith. You just, you know, uh, name it and claim it. You know, you just name it. You just tell God what you want and He's going to give it to you. And then nothing bad's ever going to happen. You're always going to be okay. You know, your best life now. This is stuff that's preached in churches today. Now look, I don't know about you, but my best life, I, you know, I, I would be sad if my best life was now. You know, because I hope that when I get to heaven, my life's going to be a little better than it is here. You know, I mean, I, I've got a hope that one day I've got, you know, a home in heaven. But today, Christians will teach your best life now. Seven steps to have, you know, having a great life. And seven steps to this and that. And, and they'll teach, you know, you just, you, God is going to bless you. God's going to open the door. God's going to give you this. God's going to give you that. And look, look at verse 2. You got these two missionaries, Paul, the greatest missionary ever lived, preaching the gospel, getting great, you know, a huge number of people saved. You think, oh, they got the blessing of God. And in verse number two, the Bible says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Every time you start doing something for God, every time you start accomplishing something for God, you're always going to have somebody come in opposition against you. You're always going to have somebody come fight against you. And in this case, it was the unbelieving Jews, but really it's just the devil and the demons fighting against you because they don't want people getting saved. They don't want you so speaking that a great multitude gets saved, so then what happens? The very next verse, somebody's trying to stop them. You know, and the Bible says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. So what they do? Look at verse 3. Long time, therefore. That therefore is in reference back to their enemy. 
says, because of the unbelieving Jews stirring up the Gentiles, because of the unbelieving Jews causing their minds to be evil affected against the brethren, they said, long time therefore abode they, what were they doing? Speaking, notice what they are doing, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto, what were they speaking about? Look what it says, they gave testimony of what? The Word. Of His grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. You know, sometimes people say about our church or our type of church. You know, your church emphasizes too much the preaching of God's Word and the teaching of God's Word and, and, and the soul winning, you know, using God's Word. Why don't you emphasize other ministries? Why don't you have, you know, a homeless shelter? Why don't you have a Christian school? And why don't you do this? And look, whatever. But, in the, you know, show me all those things about it. And I'm not, you know, there's nothing wrong with the homeless shelter, you know, all these other ministries, nothing, it's fine. But notice in the Bible, here's what the Bible is always emphasizing. Preaching, speaking, teaching the Word of God. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And that ought to be the main priority of any church, is to preach the gospel, is to speak boldly the testimony of His word, to teach the Bible. And they said they did it for a long time, because of the opposition. Look at verse 4. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also the Jews, with their rulers to use them despitefully to stone them, I want you to make note of that. They're in Iconium. And these Jews are trying to get them stoned. Okay? Look at verse 6. They were aware, or our modern day word would be aware of it, and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities in Lycaonia, and unto the regions that lie round about. So these people are coming, they're trying to get they're trying to stone them, so they fled. They went to these other cities. They went to uh, Lystra and Derby, cities of Lycaonia. And guess what they did in, in when they got to that city? Here's what they did. They started lifestyle, lifestyle evangelism and started just, you know, they got a job somewhere and started trying to be a good testimony and trying to get people saved. Is that what it says in verse 7? What does it say? What's the first thing they did when they get to the new city? And there they preached the gospel. Now people, see, sometimes people say, Pastor Jimenez, you're so, you know, it's all, everything's about soul winning. Soul winning, soul winning, soul winning. Preaching the gospel, you've got one track mind, you know, and, and you're so repetitive. And the thing is, you know, am I really being repetitive when like every other, cha- you know, every other verse, every single chapter in the book of Acts is just preaching the gospel, preaching the Bible, getting people saved, getting people baptized, preaching the Bible. I mean, that's all it is. That's what the Word of God is. And that's the one thing we've gotten away from in, you know, 2011 American churches is that we do everything under the sun except this one thing, preach the gospel. You know, nobody's saying. I mean, the average church member can't even give the gospel. Doesn't even know how to get somebody saved, much less, you know, go out and, and knock on people's doors and get them saved. But, what we're, but you see, we, we, we say, oh, we've got to get back to the Bible. We've got to get to New Testament, you know, uh, Christianity. Well, look, New Testament Christianity is this, preaching the gospel. Verse 7, and there they preach the gospel. Why did they do that? Because that's what Jesus Christ commanded them to do. Go ye therefore and preach, you know, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, what Jesus Christ said five different times he gave us a great commission in the Gospels. Look at verse 8. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, 
impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb, who never had walked. Now here's a, a beautiful picture of salvation. And we, you know, we find this in the scriptures a lot, but the Bible says that there was a certain man there who was impotent in his feet. That word impotent there, it means without power. Like you see the, the last part of the word, it says potent. You know, that, that has to do with power. The word impotent means without power or without strength, without the muscle. He didn't have the ability uh, in his feet. Being crippled from his mother's womb, he never had walked. So I want you to notice that he had no strength. He had no power to walk. And he was crippled from his mother's womb. Now keep your finger there in Acts 14 because we're going to be going back to it. But go with me to Romans chapter number 5. You're there in the book of Acts. Go to the very next book, Romans. Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5 and look at verse number 6. Look at what the Bible says about us when we got saved. Romans chapter number 5 and verse 6. The Bible says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You know what the Bible is saying? Then when we were without strength, when we were without power, when we were impotent, when we didn't have the strength to accomplish those things that we needed to do, when we didn't have the ability to get ourselves out of hell or to be able to live you know, a, a life for God, the Bible says that uh, when we were without strength in due times, Christ died for the ungodly. Look at verse number 12. You say, when were we without strength? When you were born. Look at verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, talking about Adam, the first man, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You can go back to Acts 14, but you see there that you say, What was that? You know, you were born a sinner. Now, a baby's not condemned, and we've preached that before because they don't have the knowledge, and I'm not going to get into that. But the truth of the matter is, we're all born sinners from the moment we were born, you know, from our mother's womb, we were impotent. We were without strength. Just like this man here, a perfect picture of salvation. The Bible says he was impotent from his mother's womb. Look at verse number 9. The same saw Paul's life. Is that what it says? The same heard Paul speak. You see how the Bible just keeps emphasizing. Keeps emphasizing. Keeps emphasizing. Preaching the gospel. Preaching. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceived that he had faith to be healed. You see there, we find the two, the two things that we need for salvation. Number one, he had to hear him speak the gospel, and then he had to have the faith to receive it. And obviously we're talking about this man being healed, but it's a perfect illustration about salvation. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceived that he had faith to be healed. Go, go with me to Romans chapter number 10. Let's go there quickly, and let's look at a, a verse there. Romans chapter number 10. Look at verse number 14. Romans chapter number 10, and look at verse number 14. The Bible says in Romans 10, 14... How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Well, first let's read 13. Because you need to understand 13 to understand 14. Verse 13 of Romans 10 says this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? So how do you get saved? By calling upon the name of the Lord. But then, they ask a very important question, verse 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? 
So yeah, you got to call on the Lord to be saved, but how are you going to call on someone when you haven't believed on Him? That's the faith. And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? See, salvation is all about this. Are you willing to open your mouth and preach the gospel? Because how can they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How can they believe in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear if someone's not willing to say it? Drop down to verse number 17. Look at what it says. Uh, Romans chapter number 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You see how consistent the Bible is? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. So all throughout, you know, Acts, Romans, you can't get away from it. You preach the Bible, people hear the Bible, they have faith, they get saved. And this impotent man, perfect illustration of us, he was without power, he was without strength, from the moment he was born... Just like you and I were born without strength in our sin. And the moment you heard the gospel, you believed it, and you got saved. Look at verse number 10, Acts 14.10. Paul speaking, he says, Said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And look at what it says. And he leaped and walked. Now, I want you to go back to verse number 10. Look at the last part of verse number 8. I'm sorry. Last part of verse number 8, the Bible says this. Who never had walked. Okay? Verse 8 says, And there was a certain man of Lystra, impotent in his feet, being crippled from his mother's womb. So from the moment he was born, he could never walk. And the Bible says, Who never had walked. Now look, as you read miracles in the Bible, you study miracles in the Bible, don't ever look over the details. God gives us details for a specific reason. And the Bible tells us this man never walked. And the moment that he gets healed, the Bible says that he leaped and walked. So he jumps up and he walks. Now here's the thing. If this man had never walked, and suddenly, and the Bible was very specific to tell us, because he didn't have the power. He didn't have the strength to walk. His muscles weren't able to hold him up and to get him to move. Look, if his muscles all of a sudden were given the strength and the power to be able to do it, don't you think he'd still have to learn to walk? I mean, the baby, a baby has the ability, the strength to, to, you know, not a newborn baby, but, you know, but a child, we have to learn to walk. You know, if somebody loses their ability to walk because they're in an accident or something like that, you know, and they go through, uh, uh, you know, physical therapy or something like that, a lot of times after you go there, they have to go through uh, uh, stages in their life where they're learning to use those muscles again and be able to, but see, this man, who never walked, not only did God give him the power the strength to walk, but he also gave him the ability to walk. Do you see that? He didn't have to take the time to learn. I mean, as soon as God healed him, he just jumps up and he's able to do it. And see, when people got saved, when you got saved, God gave you the Holy Ghost. That's the power. God gave you the Holy Ghost. That's the strength. God gave you the ability to open your mouth and preach the gospel. See, people say this, I, I, I'm saved and I got the Holy Ghost, I got the Holy Spirit, but I don't have the ability to preach the gospel. I, I'm not able to do it. I'm too shocked. But see, here's what you got to understand. Not only does God give you the power to do it, God gives you the ability to do it. And God gives each and every one of us the ability to do it. And this man got the strength, the power, to be able to stand up and walk. But not only did he get that, he had the ability to do it. He could stand up. And look, if you're saved, you can give the gospel to somebody right now. If you truly are saved, because all you have to do is explain to them how you got saved. Now look, if you're not saved, then you can't explain that. But all you got to do is tell somebody how, how you got saved. You know? Uh, what, what happened to you? 
Somebody gave you the gospel. Somebody explained to you the gospel. You know, and, and, you, and obviously you should learn the Bible and memorize the verses and use the Bible because the, the, the power is in the Word of God, not in our words. But look, God not only gives you the power, He gives you the ability. And so often we think, oh, I don't, I don't have, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm saved, and yeah, I got the Holy Ghost, but I can't raise those kids for God. I can't do right. I can't live for God. I can't have the power, you know, but He gives you the power and the ability. You know, so don't look past those details and those miracles, you know. It's very interesting. He never walked before. But all of a sudden, He just jumps up, He's leaping, He's walking, He's running. Look at verse 11. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lycaonia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. you got to keep in mind, they're in a heathen nation. These are uh, Greeks, and they're into idol worshipping and, and, and different, you know, worshipping other gods. And they see Paul, you know, do this miracle, and they're thinking that Paul and Barnabas are gods. No, notice, little g gods. Not, in the Bible, capital G is God, Almighty God. Little g gods are always idols or demons, something like that. But the Bible says that, you know, they, they said that the, the, the gods are come down to us in likeness of men. Look at verse 12. And they called Barnabas Jupiter... And Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief, what? Speaker. You see how the Bible just keeps emphasizing that? What are they doing? What's their ministry? What is your ministry? You say, I want to be part of the church ministry. Here's your ministry. Open your mouth. Speak. Preach the gospel. Look at verse 13. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out, and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you, that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living, capital G, God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Do you see that? It's, it's funny. So this priest from Jupiter, this priest, the, the priest from Jupiter, good night. Priest of the god Jupiter, you know, shows up with his oxen, and, his god, and he's going to do an animal sacrifice to these new gods, Barnabas and Paul. And they're just getting ready to worship these guys. And notice what happens, verse 15, Paul and Barnabas, and saying, Sirs, you know, uh, look at verse 14, when, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, look at that, they rent their clothes. So that in, the, in the Bible, you know, whenever somebody was like really grieved or really moved by something, they would rip their clothes. The Bible says, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people. So they ran into this little church service they're having, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? Have you noticed this in the Bible? That the apostles never let anybody worship them. You know, we don't have to go back to it, but do you remember in Acts 10, when, uh, when, when Peter was told to go preach the gospel to, uh, uh, to Cornelius, and they started worshiping him when he walked in the room, and, and, he, and he stood him up, and he said, don't worship me, I'm a man just like you. You know, and all throughout the Bible, in, in, in the book of Revelation, John sees a man coming, and he thinks it's like God or something, so he worships him, and the guy said, don't worship me, I'm, I'm a man just like you. You know, and in the Bible, you know, you always find Christians never allow people to worship them. You know, and I, this, is what I, this is what I would love to see. I would love to see the Pope 
you know, when, when he walks into one of his little meetings and all these Catholics, you know, just bow down in front of him and kiss his big toe and worship him, because that's what it, it, when you bow down in front, you know, study the word worship in the Bible. It's literally bowing your knee. When you bow your knee to somebody, you're worshiping them according to the Bible. You know, I'd like to see the, Paul, the, the, the Pope rent his clothes like Paul did and say, hey, don't, don't do that. You know, but you don't see that. You know, and people say, oh, well, Peter was the first Pope. Then why didn't he receive worship? Like the popes today do. You know, if Peter was the first pope, why did he have a mother-in-law? You know, why was he married? Because you can study, you know, in the Bible, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. So, obviously, we ought not worship idols. We ought not worship. You know, one of the Ten Commandments is this, that we ought not bow our knee to a person or to an idol. You know, you ought not be bowing, you know... and, you know, I'll pick on the Catholics just because it's, it's, it's an easy illustration. My, my wife used to be a Catholic. And she, you know, I've never been a Catholic, so I don't know. But she says, you know, you walk into the Catholic Church, they have this little crucifix, and you bow down, you do a little thing. You know, that's wrong. The Bible says that we not, the, one, the Ten Commandments, in fact, let's just go there. Exodus chapter number 20. And look, this is, this is stuff that people don't like to talk about today. But it's in the Bible. Exodus chapter number 20. This wasn't really in my notes, but look at what it says. Exodus chapter number 20, look at verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, Exodus chapter number 20, it's the second book in the, in, the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter number 20. Exodus 20 is where we find the Ten Commandments. One of the passages that shows us the Ten Commandments. And look at what it says. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which I brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Look what he says, verse 3. In verse 3 we find the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other small g gods before me. Do you see that? Commandment number one. Number, verse four gives us commandment number two. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. Okay, those are two separate commandments. See, people, see sometimes people say, well, it's okay to have an image as long as you don't worship it. But is that what the Bible says? Commandment number one says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But number two says... Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. So does God want you to have any images? Does He want you to make an image? No, He doesn't. According to the second commandment. Or, look at what it says. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands, and them that love me, and keep my commandments. So do you see there? I mean, it's very clear from the Bible, he, not only does He not want you to have another God, He doesn't want you to make an image. And He spells it out, nothing of the likeness that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under there. So, okay, so let's just, you know, break it down. Okay, Christians today like to have images of little doves, and they say that represents the Holy Ghost. Now, first of all, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost came down like a dove. It doesn't say that He came as a dove, okay? He was saying the way that a dove would fly, that's how the Holy Ghost came upon Jesus Christ. But today, Christians say, oh, you know, I have this little dove, okay? Well, let's see. Does a, is a dove something that is in heaven above? Now, look. I'm just getting, let's just get down to the, you know, where the rubber meets the road in Christianity. Because I know nobody likes to talk about this stuff. But, is, is a dove an image of something that it's in heaven above? 
Yes, it is. So should we have it as Christians? No, we should not. Let's, let's do another Christian favorite. Christians like to have, you know, the little Christian fish that they put on the back of their car. And look, I'm not, I'm not, you know, if you have it, I don't know. I don't know about it. And I'm not mad at you if you do. I'm just trying to show you what the Bible says because, you know, my job as a preacher is to try to get you to know the Bible and, you know, correct things in your life that you may have not been aware of. Okay, is a fish something that's under the water? Yes, it is. Does it say that we should not have the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in water under the earth? Do you see that? So the fish's got to go. It goes against the second commandment of the Ten Commandments, the most famous commandments in the Bible. Okay? No likeness, no image, no idol. That's why we don't have a little picture of Mary at Verity Baptist Church. That's why we don't have a crucifix. Have you ever noticed we don't have a crucifix here? Because that's an image. That's an image of Jesus Christ. And look, is Jesus Christ up in heaven right now? Yes, he is. So should we have a likeness of him? No, we should not. That's why we don't, you know, that's why we don't have it. That's why we don't have a cross. Is there a cross in the pulpit? There not There's no cross. You say, oh, a church with no cross? Look, I love the cross. We preach about the cross, we sing about the cross, but we don't have an image of the cross because it goes against the Bible. And and show me a church in America that doesn't have a cross. They all do. But look, look at verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or any likeness of anything. Anything. Does that include? Anything means anything. That is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You know, and I'm not saying, obviously, you know, I don't walk into my, you know, my, my, my wife and I, often we go visit her, her grandmother, who's a, a staunch cat. You know, we don't walk into her house and just take the crucifix off the wall and throw it on the ground and say, you know, you shouldn't have this. Obviously, you know, you got to be tactful and respectful, and some people just don't know. But look, in your life, this is what church is about. You are taught the Bible. We show you the Bible. We explain to you the Bible. And look, we ought not have graven images. We ought not, as Christians, we ought not be bowing down to any images. We ought not be bowing down to anybody. Because that's all reserved to God. Alright? You ought to bow your knee to God, Almighty God, while you're praying to Him, while you're talking to Him, while you're worshiping God. Not a picture of God. Not an image of God. Not a picture of an animal that represents God. We are not, that's, not, that, that's anti-Bible. And I know that goes against everything that you've ever been taught. But, I mean, just prove it to me from the Bible. Go, I mean, show me in, in uh, the Ten Commandments there how we're supposed to... I mean, he says, don't even make it. Don't even have it. So, uh, so we see there, go back to Acts 14, that... He, you know, he was upset about this. He says, you know, don't worship us. He says, we are men of like passions, like you. That's pretty much what he's saying. Look at verse 16. And he, and he says, you know, you ought to turn to God, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did, did good and gave us rain from heaven, and fruitful sons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restraint, they the people, that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And I want you to look at verse 19. And there came hither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. So I, I want you to understand this. Where were they just at? Remember, they were in Iconium. And, and in the previous chapter, they were in Antioch. So these people are following them. Okay? As they're traveling, these enemies are actually following them. The Bible says, And there came hither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded 
the people and having stoned Paul. You remember they were trying to stone him back in Iconium. Now they actually killed him. Stone Paul drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Now don't miss this, okay? Did you real did you notice this? That these people just a second ago were calling Paul and Barnabas gods. They were getting ready to worship them. They were saying, You're Jupiter, you're Mercurius, we're gonna sacrifice to you. And literally a few verses later, they stoned Paul. I mean, you know what a stoning is in the Bible? That's when people take rocks and they throw them at you until you're dead. I mean, think about it. Bad way to die. That's probably the worst place I, way to die, I would think. And these people were persuaded by... Verse 19, And there came hither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. I mean, isn't that crazy to you? One, one second they're worshipping them, the next second they're killing them, and here's why. Based on what they're told. Okay? Do you remember, we were studying the book of John before we got in the book of Acts. Do you remember Jesus Christ? As He came in on Palm Sunday. You know, you've all heard of Palm Sunday when Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem. And all the people worshipped Him as He came in. And they said, Hosanna! Hosanna! And they were worshipping Him. Do you know that that's the same people that three days later were yelling, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Isn't that amazing to you? That on Sunday, Palm Sunday, they would worship Him, and the same people on, you know, just a few days later, would be yelling, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! You say, how is that? How is it that one day, you know, one verse they're worshiping Paul and Barnabas, the next verse they're murdering Paul. They stoned Him to death. Well, you know, I heard this before, and don't take offense if I, you know, but people, individuals are smart. An individual, a person is smart. But people, collectively, as a crowd, are usually very dumb. You know, I mean, look at, look, you know, look at all these riots that happen all over. Most of the time, most people don't even know what they're rioting about. You know, I mean, just any excuse. My basketball team won the game, so let's riot. My basketball team lost the game, so let's riot. My football team won, so let's, it's so dumb. You know, people are just dumb. They're just looking for excuses to do anything, you know. And they're just sheep, you know, just, just following anything. And look, you ought to be a sheep following the Lord Jesus Christ. But you ought to allow yourself to be influenced by the media and influenced, you know, uh, by just what the people are... Oh, you know, we're worshiping Paul the Martyrs. Oh, let's worship Oh, now they're bad. Okay, let's pick up stones. Let's kill them. You know, that's, uh, and that's how people are. I was driving uh, today. I, you know, I had I did my HVAC stuff uh, this morning from uh, till noon, and then afternoon I grabbed some lunch and I had to drive all the way to Clear Lake, do a job, took about an hour, and then drive all the way back from Clear Lake uh, to be in church tonight. And that's why we were a little late <laughs> because we were, uh, you know, driving so far away and picking people up for church and all that. But um, as I was driving, I was listening to the Republican uh, debate going on tonight, and. Um, you know, it, it, this is what's funny about you. You shouldn't preach about politics. I'll preach about whatever I want. You know, the Bible says that I can preach the Word of God, and I'm going to give you an example here from the Word of God. You know, these Republicans, when George Bush is in office, it's like we got to go, we got to go to war, we got to fight Afghanistan, we got to fight Iraq, we got to do this, we got to do that, and the Republicans are just like, yeah, yeah, let's fight, and the Democrats are like, no, no, peace, 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 and then their guy gets in office. And he's like a killing machine, you know, I mean, he starts a third war in Libya, and he's killed more people using, you know, unmanned drones going into Pakistan than Bush ever dreamt of killing. And, and now, all of a sudden, the Democrats are like, yeah, we got to fight in Libya. And the Republicans are like, no, 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 we can't do it, it's bad. It's like, I'm thinking to myself, what is 
wrong with you people? But here's what's wrong with you. It's that they're, they're, they're just a dumb crowd. They don't know what they believe. It's just, let's worship Paul. Let's stone Paul. Let's go to Iraq. Let's not go to Libya. It's like, come on, you know. And I'm just trying to explain to you. you we as Christians need to not be defined by political organ. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm this. No, look. We ought to be defined by the Word of God. And we ought to let the Word of God tell us what we believe. And when I go to the polls, you know, I do, you know, I pay attention and I think it's my duty to vote and all those things. But I measure up a candidate not based on what, you know, the Republican Party says and what the conservative and what the radio says. I I base it on the Word of God. And when God tells us, you know, we ought to believe certain things and do certain things, that's where I stick with. You know, and, and don't be, be this mindless drone where you're just for something because everybody's for it. You're against it. You know, after September 11th, everybody wants to go to war. Few, you know, a few years later, all the Democrats are like, "No, no, we shouldn't be in war." It's like you voted for it. <laughs> you voted for it in Congress. You know, just a few days. And, and then, you know, I'm saying, I'm not even telling you whether it's right or wrong. I'm just saying, don't be a mindless just crowd where you just do something because everybody else is doing it. Especially these, the, the teenagers that come to our church, we ought to teach them. You know, don't just do things. Uh, I mean, when you think about, think about how dumb it is to smoke cigarettes. I mean, there's absolutely no reason to smoke a cigarette. And I'm not, if you smoke, I'm not, you know, I guess I'm preaching against you, but, you know, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but just think about this, okay? You spend money to take a cigarette that is going to burn up and then it's going to give you lung cancer or give you, like, bad health benefits. I mean, it would be better for your health if you took a $5 bill and just burnt it up, you know? But you take that $5 bill, you buy a cigarette, and then you're giving yourself cancer. And, and there's actually no reason why anybody would ever want to smoke, except for this one thing. Other people were doing it. And that's, and that's virtually the reason why everybody smokes. If you ask me, and they're honest, why do you start smoking? Uh, I was a kid, and my friend was doing it. And, that, and that's the truth. You know, obviously we love those people and they ought, you know, we ought to try to help them get, you know, and smoking, man, that's a hard thing to get over, you know, and it takes a lot of work. But, you know, you just got to be careful not to be the mindless drone. You just do, well, my friends were doing it, so I did. Look, we ought to think on our own and let the Word of God uh, teach us. Look at verse number 20, let's get off of that. Well, no, but I want you to see this. They stoned Paul, okay? They threw rocks at him till he died. Well, the Bible says, supposing he had been dead. Now, some people believe that Paul actually died and God resurrected him. Some people believe that maybe he just, you know, they just thought he was dead and he wasn't, um, you know, and I'm not going to get into it, but Paul later on writes about a man who he knew who went up to heaven and saw heaven. Some people believe that that was Paul speaking about himself at this event, that he actually died and God allowed him to go to heaven and see the things in heaven and then brought him back. You know, that's neither here nor there. I, you know, I don't, I don't really know either way. I, you know, I, I could see both. But I want you to see here that they stoned him, okay? And they thought he was dead. And look at verse 20. How be it, as the disciples stood round about him, so the disciples are just looking at him, at this, you know, what they think is a dead body. He rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Isn't that amazing? Now look, I don't know about you, but if there's a time to quit the ministry, or to at least take a break from the ministry, don't you think it'd be then? After they stoned you? But here's what he does, he just stands up, he just goes back to the city. And here's what the amazing thing is. He goes back into the city where they just stoned him. But here, here's what you got to understand, okay? We, we get afraid of tribulation. 
Okay, right, remember he was in he was in Iconium, and they said they were going to stone him, so he fled. But once he's in Derby, and they actually stone him, he goes back to the city. You say, why didn't he flee? What was the difference? Here's the difference. Once you've gone through it, you're like, I already went through it. You actually grow through tribulation. You know, he just walks right back into the city where they just stoned him. Just walks right back. And obviously he left the next day, you know, because they weren't getting results there. But, you know, you can see kind of there that the fear was gone. You know, but here's what, here, here's what you got to understand about this, okay? I heard somebody say this, and I thought it was re- really good. Whatever your strength, your spiritual strength is measured in this, whatever it takes to stop you, that's how strong you are. Let me say that again, because I want you to understand that. Whatever it takes to stop you spiritually, that's how strong you are. You know what Paul was saying when he stood up and he went back in the city? Here's what he was saying. Death can't even stop me. If you want to kill me, if you want to martyr me, I will still serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he was saying? He's saying, I'm going to serve God. You're not going to stop me. But see, most of us, you know, we don't go, you know, you wake up on, on Sunday night or Sunday morning, and you're like, oh, it looks like a cloud's coming in, it might rain, I, I don't think I'm going to make it to church today. It's like, is that, is that how strong your spirituality is? You might get a little wet. You know what I'm saying? Whatever it takes to stop you, that's how strong you are. You say, well, how strong am I as a Christian? Well, what keeps you from church? Because whatever keeps you from church, whatever keeps you from reading your Bible, whatever keeps you from praying, whatever keeps you from soul winning, whatever keeps you from sharing Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ with a neighbor, whatever stops you from doing something that the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to do, whatever stops you, that's how strong you are. You say, well, I wonder how strong I am in my Christian life. Well, what stops you? And Paul was spiritually strong because after they stoned him, he just stood up and went back into the city. Didn't take a break, didn't take a... And look at verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it's so repetitive, the Bible. Yeah. And when they had preached the gospel to that city. So, so they, he went next day. Well, look at verse 20 again. How the disciples stood round about him. He rose up, came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas and Derby. And when they had preached the gospel. So he goes into a new city. I'm sorry, I, I said he was already at Derby. But he's not at Derby yet. He, he was in... Um, the one that starts with an L, Lystra. But now he goes to Derby, and what's the first thing they do in Derby? And when they had preached the gospel to that city. I mean, isn't the Bible just repetitive, consistent? And had taught many, they returned to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch. So now they're getting ready to finish up their missionary journey. They go to Derby, they preach the gospel, then they go back to the cities they were just at. Lystra, where he got stoned, Iconium, Antioch, and look what it says, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. That's probably the key verse of this chapter. It says they went back to the cities because they got people saved in all these cities, right? So now they're going back confirming the souls. You know what that word confirming means? It means the, the word firm there, firming, firm, is talking about strength. The word cone C-O-N, that means with. Like if you know Spanish, the word with in Spanish is con, C-O-N. You know, like you know, you know, like you've heard the word uh, conscience. You know, the word science means knowledge. And conscience is in your with knowledge. Okay? So the word confirm means with strength. You know, the word firm means strength. You think of something being firm, it's something that's strong. And Bible says, that they went through confirming or giving strength to the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith 
So they're saying, look, keep on keeping on. Keep doing it. Keep going to church. Keep serving God. Keep loving the Bible. Keep doing it. You know, continue your faith. And look what Paul says to them. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. You know what the word tribulation means? It means persecution. And, and you know, if Paul, if anybody knows about tribulation, it's Paul, who just got stoned to death. <laughs> I mean, right? And he's exhorting, he's confirming the brethren, and here's how he's doing it. He's telling them, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Does that sound like your best life now? Does that sound like name it and claim it? Does that sound like, you know, prosperity gospel? Does that sound like seven steps to, to having a, you know, the greatest life you ever had? That, no, he's saying, look, if you're going to serve God, guys, this is what Paul's saying. If you're going to serve God, it's going to be through great tribulation. But you know what he's saying to them? Don't let it stop you. Just keep serving God. Just keep serving God. Look at verse 23. And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on them on whom they believed. Now, it says when they had ordained them elders. Okay, the word elders in the Bible, just learn this. Elders, pastors, bishops. All the same word. They're used interchangeably throughout the Bible. A pastor is a bishop. A elder is a pastor. It's all the same thing. Okay, so the Bible says they went through back to these cities, they were confirming souls, and they were ordaining pastors, they were ordaining elders, they were ordaining preachers to be the pastors of those churches that they had just started. Verse 23, And when they had ordained them elders in every church, and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and then sailed to Antioch. Look what it says. From whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. So they went back to Antioch. Remember, this is the first Antioch that ordained them, that sent them out. Do you remember when we were studying about Antioch? Antioch sent them out, ordained them. Remember the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work which I have called them. So the church of Antioch ordained them so now they're going back to Antioch to show them, to tell them, look, this is what we did. It's kind of like when Pastor Mark Lewis was preaching for us on Sunday night. He sent my wife and I out to start this church. So then we kind of man come back and then he gets to see, you know, what we've done. And look at verse 27. And when they were come and gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door... To of faith unto the Gentiles, and there they abode long time with the disciples. So now they're back home in Antioch, and this is the end of the first missionary journey. But I want you to just notice this, okay? Obviously, I highlighted for you every time, just over and over, preaching the gospel, opening your mouth, so spake, you know, all those things. But I want you to see this. They ordained elders in every city, and then it says they went back to the church they got ordained. And here's, here's what you got to understand, okay? This is, this is the purpose of the Christian life. The reason that God did not just take you to heaven the moment you got saved, the moment you got saved, the reason God didn't just kill you right then and take you to heaven, here's why. The purpose of a Christian is to reproduce himself in other people. And the purpose of a church is to reproduce themselves in other cities. That's good. Our purpose of a church, and that's why we talk so much about preaching the gospel, 
Because when you preach the gospel, the Bible calls this the seed of God's word. You preach the gospel and you get somebody saved. That's why Paul so often would say, you know, uh, Timothy, my own son in the faith. Now he wasn't his physical son, but in the faith that was his son. He was spirit, you know, like a spiritual father to him. And obviously we understand that God is God the Father. But, you know, you reproduce yourself. You know, when I get somebody saved, I reproduce myself as a Christian. Just like physically, my wife and I, you know, once we were two, but now we are are four. Why? Because we reproduce ourselves in children. You have to have spiritual children. But not only that, churches are to reproduce other churches. Fellowship Baptist Church, Vacaville, California, reproduced itself in Verity Baptist Church, Sacramento, California. And that's what Paul and Barnabas were doing. They were training men, ordaining men, starting churches, and then they went back to the church that sent them out and said, hey, let me tell you about all the stuff we did. And you know what, I'll just tell you, one of the goals at Verity Baptist Church, you know, and obviously, this is a long-term goal, 10 years, 20 years from now, is I hope our church one day grows to the place where we've got some young men that we ordain into the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we send them out to start churches. And I hope one day we can, you know, uh, be a help and an influence in sending out, you know, young preachers and young preachers' wives to go out and start churches all across America and all across the world. Because this is the point, this is the purpose of Verity Baptist Church, to teach you to reproduce yourself, and then our church to reproduce itself. And that's what they were doing. You say, what was their missionary journey about? Because here's what the average Christian, the average missionary journey. Let's go to Africa and, and uh, dig wells. Let's go to Africa and, or let's go to South America and build a hospital. Let's go to over here and, and get a school. Do you see Paul and Barnabas doing that? What are they doing? Preaching the gospel, starting churches, ordaining preachers. Because look, the hope for America and the hope for any nation it's not the Republican debate. It's not politics. It's not hospitals. It's not schools. It's not wells. It's the Word of God. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's going to save this country. That's what's going to help this country. And that's what Verity Baptist Church is about. Preaching the gospel to the Sacramento area and helping us reproduce ourselves in other people. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, Lord, thank you so much for Acts chapter number 14. And Father, we see that, you know, sometimes we get overwhelmed with our lives. And as I'm, as I'm reading the, the, the life of Paul and Barnabas there, I'm just thinking to myself, man, those guys were busy. Just working, fighting, building, battling. That's what it's all about. Reproducing themselves. I pray you'd help our church, Father. Lord, we're a young church, but I pray you'd help our church in these beginning stages. To be able, Lord, to be able to confirm the people here. To be able to give strength and maturity to these, the foundation of our church so that one day we can grow like a strong tree and be able to produce fruit and be able to reproduce ourselves. We love you, Father. Thank you for allowing us to be able to study your Bible. Just no agenda, just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray.